All right. I'll bring you back here when you get a second. So again, um, I, uh, I, I bring that up because it was, I actually had a different question, kind of along the same vein, but um, there, there's certain things where you, get, you kind of get your mind set on something. If, if you, maybe you have a job like this where uh, maybe you're doing like a shift uh, of a certain amount of hours. I remember, you know, when I used to work at Caribou Coffee, I remember uh, they're only open, right? So I'd be there from like 4.30 to 10, you know, in the morning or something like that. And then I'd go to my other job, uh, my real job, and then I'd go to school and all that stuff. Good times. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I remember though, you'd get there and you'd think, okay, all day, all morning, you're like, okay, I'm going to get off at 10 o'clock, right? And your manager comes to you and is like, oh, by the way, can you stay till noon? And it's like, oh, right? And those last two hours just they're miserable, right? They just drag on you. It inconveniences you uh, mentally. Well, yesterday, uh, Angela and I, we were driving back from Chicago from Thanksgiving. We stayed at my sister's place, uh, just on the, uh, she lives in a west suburb there of the city. And uh, we were uh, on our way back. We left at nine o'clock. We, we got out earlier than we were anticipating. And we uh, drove for about an hour and then had a blowout, had a, had a flat tire. And uh, right, so we've got our, our four and a half year old, our two and a half year old, and our eight month old. Uh, it was her eight month uh, anniversary yesterday. What do you say that? Eight months something, whatever. She turned eight months yesterday. Uh, and um, <laughs> anniversary of life, I guess. Uh, and anyways, we're, we're driving. And I mean, it was, it was an inconvenience for sure, right? It, it added hours. It took us five hours just to get out of Illinois. Uh, but uh, because we have an all-wheel drive vehicle, there wasn't, there's not a spare tire. And I, before we left, I even made a joke. Like, man, I hope we don't get a flat because there's no spare in this thing. And then sure enough, uh, we did. <laughs> And, but, it, but honestly, forgetting a, 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 a flat tire could not have been better. Uh, we were a quarter mile uh, from a, uh, a Ford dealership that happened to have our tires in stock. Normally they don't uh, because we have a Toyota and, and they were able to, and so we had got four new tires. And, and of course it was a Black Friday deal as well. Uh, so we ended up saving money on that. So really, I mean, it could not have gone better. It took like an hour and a half to get four new tires and, and it was over lunch. So we got lunch. It just, it really couldn't have been any better. Uh, for getting a flat on the way back from Thanksgiving. And so, but yet in my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to get back at, you know, we're going to get back home at four o'clock. I'm going to be able to make some dinner. We're going to relax and I'll be able to, you know, finish writing this sermon that I need to preach tomorrow and all that stuff, right? And it just felt inconvenienced. And so I'm going to talk about that this morning. Before we jump into that, though, I just want to give you a heads up. Where we're going to be going the next month. Uh, obviously, we're entering into a Christmas season. And so our uh, topic or what we're going to be doing is a white elephant Christmas. And what we're going to talk about, it's actually a really cool history uh, behind where this idea of white elephant comes from. Um, and it's not what you're expecting. Uh, it actually was a, a it, it, well, we'll get into it next week. So, um, but it's actually pretty cool. So anyways, we're going to be looking at that. Just things that we think, again, are ours, our own possessions, and it ends up being not what we expected. Um, and so we're going to be uh, looking at that uh, up and through, up and through the new year. And, uh, and then we're going to be starting uh, walking through the book of Ephesians, which I'm, I'm really excited about. So, and so is Paul, uh, one of our elders. He has the book memorized, so I know he's excited about it. No, he literally has it memorized. So, <laughs> so that's one week he's just going to stand up here and quote it, right? That's what he's going to do? That's not true. All right. Looking at this, we, uh, previously we've, gone, we've been going through these, uh, these four T's of ticker, talent, treasure, time, ticker, looking at our heart, uh, talent, looking at um, our, our gifts and things that we possess that God has given us to be able to do. Our treasure, looking at our, our money. 
And then today we're going to be looking at uh, time. And so last week, though, we looked at treasure. We looked at our finances, and I, and I kind of joked, but in all seriousness, this was the first time in 12 years that I've ever preached on money because of the, the stigma that there is with all pastors just want our money. And so I just have avoided it. And, and I think I've done us a disservice, and myself included, that I haven't really talked about that spiritual discipline of what does it mean to actually give. That what, What's interesting, though, today is we're going to be looking at time that it's different because I think we can all wrap our minds, especially here in the United States, as far as, okay, I have a job. Uh, I'm able to um, provide for housing and clothing and food and the, and, the, and the bare necessities of life will come to you, uh, right? I can take care of those things. And, and then we have a little bit of excess. And so we're able to give to people who don't quite have as much. We can wrap our minds around that. But when it comes to time, we all are given the same amount of 24 hours within a day. And so it's actually, I think, a, 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 a resource that we hold onto much tighter that it becomes way more of an inconvenience when I have to do something for somebody else. Uh, I have perfected the craft of, of helping people move right when the last box is going into the house, right? That's not on purpose. If I've done that to you, I know I've done that to, to the Fenskis a few times, but right, it's not on purpose, right? But we do. We hold our time very, very tightly. And so we've called this entrusted and this idea of of who we are. And so the ticker, though, the heart is the main thing, that I can have uh, all the money in the world and give to these charities and donate. But if my heart is not in it, then I'm wasting my time. Uh, that, That I can have some incredible gifts and talents. And yet if I'm just doing it to be seen, then, uh, then what's the point? And so we've been, I've read this every week, Acts chapter 2, uh, the early church says they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's really what it's all about, that they do all these things, but it's because their hearts are in it and they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved and kind of walked through this idea of the life in the church and look at people who are exploring their faith, checking out Christianity, and they go from death to life, that they go, they die to sin and they enter into this phase of being a new believer. Uh, they're getting involved in the church. They're, they're joining small groups or maybe pursuing membership. What does baptism look like? And then into this phase that a lot of people in churches across the United States are in of, of kind of growing, but it can become stagnant. It becomes stale. And then there needs to be another cross, a realization of the gospel where we die to sin. That I'm gonna now choose Jesus and choose his bride and choose the church and choose others over myself and I wanna be Christ-centered. Uh, and so we walked through that when it comes to everything with our heart and that affects then our time and our treasure and our talents. And, and, and again, last or a couple of weeks ago, then looking at this idea of talent, uh, that this would be a boring show to watch. Uh, the church has got talent. Angela and I, we've been watching The Voice uh, recently. Uh, and there's some really talented people on The Voice. But if it was just called like uh, like the mediocre voice, nobody would watch it, right? Or maybe would because it would just be terrible and that would probably get views too, right? Uh, but, but with the church though, people just praying, uh, consistent, consistently working, uh, making coffee, putting out flags, greeting, whatever it may be. And he said, well, that doesn't get any, any, nobody sees that, nobody, right? That, that's what we do as a, as a body, that we care for one another. So this week, though, I want to look at, at time. And I want to look at, 
even uh, what comes to mind when we think of the word time. A lot of us will think of, the, of Time Magazine, possibly. This is an older one of Bill Gates. The little caption there next to him says, having conquered the world's computers, Bill Gates takes aim at, at, at uh, banks, phone companies, even Hollywood. <laughs> He's in for the fight of his life, right? I don't even know what that, this is probably from the 80s or maybe even the 70s, it looks pretty older, but... Uh, anyways, right, so if I think of Time Magazine, you might think of, uh, of movies, right? There's a million movies or books that are based on time. One of my favorite um, uh, movies on time travel, it's an oldie but a goodie called Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves. Anyone know that movie? Oh, man. So if you haven't seen it, you got you to check it out. It's really good. It's weird, but it's really good. Um, somewhere in time. But one, one thing that I think of, and I, my wife reminded me last night that the kids were going to be in here. There wasn't nursery, so I'm going to uh, try to be, be careful. It's a movie about um, fallen angels, okay, uh, which is why it's called Fallen. And it's really, it's actually a, a fascinating movie. It's with Denzel Washington. I won't give the whole thing away, but Denzel uh, plays a detective. And he's following a string of crimes and murders and things like that. Um, but, but the MO stays the same, but they'll capture somebody at the scene of the crime, and then, but yet then somebody else will go and they'll put him in jail, and then the same crime will be committed, and it just, they can't figure it out. Well, well Denzel then finds out that, they're, that they're actually, he's actually chasing a, a, a demon, uh, and this demon is going from different person to person committing these acts, these crimes, and, they, and he can't capture him. Well, there's this scene that is just seared into my brain where as he's realizing, is this something else? Is this something spiritual rather than physical that he's in a crowd of people and someone starts looking, making eye contact with Denzel Washington as he's realizing, is this demonic? And, and, and someone starts singing the Rolling Stones song, time is on my side. Yes, it is, right? And so, but as that happens, they start singing and then that person just touches somebody else and then that person starts singing the song. They just pick up and they touch somebody else. So this demon is kind of going all over the place singing the song, time is on my side, right? You're not gonna catch me. You can't catch me, right? Uh, that I'm beyond this. And so it kind of, I was thinking about this movie and then it led me then, this is, this is a, it's all connected here, I promise. It led me then into the screw tape letters. Uh, if, and if you haven't read this book, it's by C.S. Lewis. It's a fantastic book. It's terrifying. Um, and not just because it's about, about the demonic world, but it's terrifying because of how convicting it is and how real it is. And so the, the premise of the whole thing is that screw tape is, a, is kind of a, a higher up um, sergeant, if you will, in the army of the devil. And, and so when we would think, or we've maybe heard, it's not, not true and it's not biblical, that we might have a guardian angel that the screw tape letters are about that we also have a guardian demon, okay? And so that's kind of the premise. And so uh, screw tape is writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood. And Wormwood uh, is in charge of this individual, this man over in England, over in London, who has recently become a Christian. And even though he's a Christian, it's Wormwood's whole purpose in his existence is to, to try to deter this Christian into sinning and turning away from the faith. And so that's kind of the premise. And, and so uh, later on in the book, though, as Screwtape is writing his nephew, he's giving him advice. That's what these letters are. He's giving him advice on how to uh, convince this individual to continue living in sin, even when he thinks he's doing okay. And one thing that he brings up, Screwtape, Uncle Screwtape, brings up to his nephew Wormwood is the idea of time. And so I want to read just a little bit of uh, Uncle Screwtape here, writing to his nephew, and if you read the book, 
Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis even starts off with, I have no idea how I became, I, I came into possession of these letters. Uh, it's, it's, they're, they're really good. It's a really well-written book. So I encourage you to read it if you get a chance. But he says this, men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, so the patient then is this person that he's in charge of, so that your patient can be induced to make, then the more often he will feel injured and as a result, ill-tempered. Now, you will have noticed that nothing throws him into a passion so easily as to find a track of time which he reckoned on having at his own disposal, unexpectedly taken from him. It is the unexpected visitor or a friend's talkative wife that throw him out of gear. C.S. must have had a, a fight with his wife that morning. I don't know. Now, he is not yet so uncharitable or slothful that these small demands on his courtesy are in themselves too much for it. They anger him because he regards his time as his own and feels that it is being stolen. You must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Boom. Like that, that statement hits me so hard, right? If we were, you know, if we still pass the plates, we could just pass them right now and let CS get the, the, the offering this morning because it, there's so much that is being said there. Let him think that my time is my own and I am the lawful possessor of 24 hours. It is amazing to me. Every stage of life, you think if I just get to the next stage, then I will have more time. I'll be more free. Right? Do you remember when you were a little kid? Do you remember this? Some of us remember being children, right? And when you think about, okay, if I just made it into junior high, right? If I could just jump and touch the, the over part of the door, right? Then I'll, then I'll make, I'll be, I'll arrive, right? And then, it, and then, it, then, it, then we get into high school and it's all, man, if I could just get into college and if I get into college, well, if I could just graduate from college, right? And then, and then all of a sudden the reality sets in that I no longer have a summer break, Right? Remember the oh man, that's a that's a harsh reality when you when you go to that world, right? And then uh, right, it's like well, I'm going to go into the workforce. And well, man, if I could just get married, then I'll then I'll be able to be with somebody and share my time with somebody. It's amazing that when you're when you're married, uh, they ask you love being together for sure. That's a good thing. And yet there are things we say, no, I, I kind of want to just do this on my own. But when you're single, all you want to do is be with somebody else, and it just it just goes round and round. We go, and then you have children, right? If God willing, you do have children and everything changes, right? That my time just simply isn't my own. I have to literally keep a human being alive, right? It's a completely different perspective. And then, oh man, if I could just be an empty nester and then if I could just retire and I could just do what I want whenever I want, well, then you're gonna be in the grave, all right? And the thing is, we haven't really known freedom or just the, the being able to do what we wanna do when we wanna do it since kindergarten, Right, let's just be honest, right? Our kids can do what they want when they want. We don't get to do that. So let him think that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Let him feel as a grievous tax that portion of his property, which he has to make over to his employers, and as a generous donation, that further portion, which he allows to religious duties. But what he must never be permitted to doubt 
is that the total from which these deductions have been made was, in some mysterious sense, his own personal birthright. And so, based on what Screwtape here says, I actually want to look a little bit uh, on Satan. And it's interesting in this book uh, that, that Screwtape actually says our father as referring to Satan and the enemy as referring to God. And so when we look at then Screwtape's father, we see something. We see something about the devil and because where does Screwtape get all these ideas of time and possession? He gets it from his father. He gets it from the father of lies, from the devil. And we read this in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? Even Jesus later on in the New Testament is going to say, I saw Satan fall from heaven like a star, and you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, here it is, I will ascend to heavens. It's mine. I will rise to the throne above the stars of God. I will sit in throne on the mount of the assembly to the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It will all be mine and I will be like God. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead into the depths of the pit. And so when Satan here says, it's all mine and I'm gonna make it all mine and I'm going to do this, I will do this, and he falls short of achieving that victory, he goes to the next best thing, the image bearers of God, and he attacks humanity. And we know this based on Genesis chapter three, that the serpent, we know the serpent is the devil and Satan based on Revelation. The apostle John tells us that ancient serpent, that dragon, the devil, Satan. Now this serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And then here's what the serpent says. You will not certainly die. Don't, don't listen, God, God may have said that, but don't take him at his word. You're not actually gonna die, the serpent said to the woman. And then what does the serpent do? What does Satan do? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and what? You will be like God. You can have the power. You can have the authority to choose what is good and wrong for you. Not God. It can be yours. You can have this power. And we know that Adam and Eve then partake of the fruit. But again, that wasn't enough because we have a generous God who takes on his own flesh to save humanity, to save his image bearers. And in a louder fashion says, you might think, devil, that you've won, that you've said mine of my image bearers, but I'm telling you, no. It's not over. And so Satan doesn't give up easily. And so when Jesus comes and takes on flesh to pursue his image bearers back, Satan then goes to Jesus and says, no, 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 no. This can be mine. This can be yours. And Jesus was led by the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, again, if you are the son of God, is that really what God said? Tell these stones 
to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If God said it, then it's true. What did God say just previously in that passage in Matthew chapter three, as soon as Jesus was baptized and went up out of the water at the moment heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. And so Satan over and over with us says, does God really say? And Jesus says, yes, God did say I am his son if you're the son of God, oh human. Did God really say, don't do that? Don't look at that? Don't touch that? Yes. This is not mine. My time is not even mine. And I don't know where I heard this. I, I want to say it was Andy Stanley. Uh, over a decade ago, I was in Atlanta for a conference, and I maybe he said this. Maybe if, if I have a dream of Andy Stanley saying something, does he get credit for that or do I get credit for that? How does that work, right? I don't know. I don't know who said it. I really don't. But for some reason, this popped into my, my head when I was going over this, that you are never more like Satan than when you say mine. Right? We can think of the, of the seagulls, right, from Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. That's what we are. We're like the devil when we think we possess something, and specifically this morning, when we think I am the sole possessor of 24 hours. And that is, it is up to me to give that then back to you. It is, I'm being generous with that. We could, this is why we could go to a gospel application, except it wouldn't be a gospel application. It would just be law. Don't be like the devil. Don't be like, the, is, that, is that all it is, right? Just law? Zach, we're not, we're not, this is just the midpoint. Yeah, you're good, okay. He's like, oh no, he's a gospel application. I got it. No, you don't. Don't, don't be like the devil. Is that what we're supposed to do, right? Just then don't say mine. Don't be possessive over things. No, right? That's law. And the law, we've been bound by the law because of the devil. And so when we live under the law, then we are going, okay, cool, devil, you win. Jesus set us free from that. So I want to look at this briefly. Look at three ways to look at time. And the first way is if you think of kind of a pendulum, Right? If Satan's saying, it's mine, right? I'm going to do it this way. It's my time. I possess this. Another way that we can look at it, the opposite pendulum is, well, who cares? What's the point of it all? What's the point? And we can read this from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a, is a poetic book written by Solomon. He's the son of King David, known as the most wise man in the world and that he achieved everything. He had everything. He owned everything. He experienced everything. And at the end of it, because he lacked God, he says, what's the point? He goes through this whole life from a perspective of life that's all about him, that's all about me and mine and what I want and how I want to spend my time. And it doesn't work out the way that he wants. Like things normally don't work out the way that we want. Or the way, I think, even more dangerous, the way we think we deserve. We have this ideal of a, an American dream or whatever you want to call it, that this is what I want. This is my desire. I want to make X amount of money. I want to live in this kind of neighborhood. I want to have 2.5 children. I want to have whatever it may be. This is what I want. And when that thing doesn't happen, we become inconvenienced. We think we're owed that. So Solomon says this. 
What do we think about the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life, Solomon? You're so wise. What tell us what's the point purpose of life? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless and vanity. What do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning into its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. And to the place the streams come from, they will return again. All the things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. There's no point. So just do what you want to do. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's also from Ecclesiastes. There's no point in this. Again, that's from this perspective that lives life without their God, without their creator, someone who's abandoned the creator and said, I'm going to worship the creation and do what I want to do. And he's saying it's all empty. It's worthless. It's meaningless. So the second way that I think we see from Satan, and I think we probably most often struggle with, not so much that, oh, whatever, there's no point. Maybe some of us struggle with that, for sure. But I think the other way is that I'm going to do it my way. I think of the song by Frank Sinatra, right? I'll have it my way, right? Maybe you don't know that. It's an oldie. Oldie but goodie. All right, actually, here's the, here's the lyrics for one of the verses. For what is a man... What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say all the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, but I did it my way. That's our attitude. James warns us of this way of thinking. Chapter four, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Right now, I'm 36 years old. I've always lived in the Midwest, and, and I love when the season changes, right? That, that first winter right, gust that comes in, it gets cold, and you can like really see your breath, right? And I just always stand there. <sighs> It's <laughs> just always kind of a, of a cool thing. You try to make smoke rings, but you can't. I don't know why you can't with mist, but you can't, right? And it's just one of those things. It's just there and it's gone. That's what James is saying. That's my life. And so if, if you think that you can just do this or do that without consulting the creator of the universe and you say, no, 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 it's mine. You're acting like the devil. The third way, I think, the gospel-centered way, is to acknowledge that it's all a gift from God. All of our time is a gift from God and we get to participate in his plan. When you look at the actual word in Hebrew for time, it's this idea that time, that they are historical moments of God doing his works, that God is doing something, the the history of redemption. 
And then he goes in and this is his time and we're just part of him doing something to redeem humanity, his image bearers. And so time is simply a sequence of events of God saving humanity and then how we fit into his plan. I was uh, thinking as I was working on this, I thought of uh, Evan Almighty. There's this scene uh, where uh, Evan, uh, played by, what's his name? Steve Carell. Uh, Steve Carell, right, he is called by God to be a new Jonah, not new Jonah, to, called to be a new uh, Noah. And he's to build an ark. But he's, this, he's got a big interview, a big promotion coming up. And, and Steve Carell, he just bought this big new house. And he goes, I don't have time for this. I have plans. And Morgan Freeman, who plays God, just starts laughing. And he's like, what's so funny? And he goes, you have plans. That's funny, right? And it's just this idea that God is just saying, you don't understand. Time is mine. I created it. I own it. And with my time, I am going to redeem humanity and you are going to be entered into these little snippets of time into this story of redemption. So God's story of redeeming humanity is evident and clear in the Bible. But again, the Bible is not written so that we can somehow find God. It is God revealing himself to us and chasing after us to redeem us. We see this in Galatians chapter four. If we think of this way of time, of, of being God's redemptive plan, especially in a Hebrew idea in Galatians chapter four, it says when the set time had fully come, in the fullness of time, when time, this redemptive hour was at its peak, at its maximum, the fullness of this redemptive history moment, what happens? God sends his son, born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive an adoption to sonship. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the time has come. This maximum moment of the redemption of humanity has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That that's the good news. That's the story. How do we give our time? We recognize that it's not my own. I've been bought with a price and I enter into his time. And that allows me then to freely share with people the good news of the gospel to not be inconvenienced when I think it's my own. Continuing that passage with James chapter 4, James says instead, instead of saying, I'm going to go do this or that, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your own arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. <laughs> you have plans? <laughs> That's funny. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Specifically, James is talking about time. I want to mention a friend, co-worker of mine, John Neal. A lot of you don't know John. Uh, he's uh, our administrative pastor. Uh, he does a lot for you, even though you may not even know his name, as far as uh, how the function of our church is, of setting the, uh, a lot of our budget and a lot of, a lot of things. He, he's a great guy and um, love him, but he has gone through the ringer. And uh, I think, I'm pretty sure, if you look at Job, when, when, when Job or Satan then goes to God and says, oh, you look at Job, uh, he's, you've protected him. 
Um, and, and God says, no, he's the most righteous man on earth. And I'm pretty sure right now, uh, John Neal is the most righteous man on earth. And I always joke, I, I want to be the second most righteous man on earth because I don't want that. And I'm telling you, John has been going through some stuff. Uh, and recently, just a little over a year ago, found out he had a brain tumor. Uh, he's got three little kids and now a fourth new little child uh, who his wife, uh, Katie, just went through uh, just terrible, terrible things with this, with this birth. Um, and uh, and they're, they're hurting. Uh, and, 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 I can, and you can imagine then John Neal being in a position where he would go then to either, well, what's the point of this? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through this? Then forget it. What's the point? I'm giving up. Or it's not fair. I've worked hard. I've given my life to you, God. It's not fair. I've earned this. Instead, I think John goes a third route of saying, man, I'm glad to be part of the story of God. And I, I, I didn't get his permission to share this, uh, but it was on Facebook. So it was public domain. So I'm assuming it's okay. So John, if you hear this, uh, sorry, better to ask for forgiveness and permission. That's not true. I'll do that. He said this, this was from uh, Facebook just the last week. Stable. That was the results from my, ba- my brain tumor examination. Talk about a word that challenges your perspective. I would have much preferred annihilated, destroyed, killed, obliterated, even shrunk would have been okay. The hope was that this treatment would have reduced the tumor. So there is a disappointment that the ideal situation didn't happen. It's easy to get defeated. The path to discouragement and sulking seems to be well paved. However, stable also means it's not getting worse. It's not growing and that urgency hasn't increased. I feel like I've learned a lot about the fragility of life. I've also learned how little I am in control over. Tomorrow is always uncertain. The only thing that changes is our awareness of that uncertainty, Andy Stanley. Now, Andy, I think actually said that. Maybe John had a dream about Andy saying that. I don't really know. John says this, I appreciate all your prayers and encouragement through this process. We rarely get to see what God is up to, but I know that he can be trusted. To read those words from a friend, from a man that I look up to, is mind-boggling. To know what he's gone through and be able to say, I know that he can be trusted. John gets it. John understands that third way that we are just getting a glimpse of this history of redemption. And as much as it seems like as if I'm suffering and going through a, a hell on earth, God is good and can be trusted. I want to end it with just one more quote from the Screw Tape Letters, and I think this is very fitting. Uncle Screw Tape says this, and all the time the joke is in that word, mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by any human being about anything. In the long run, either our father, the devil, or the enemy, God, will say mine of each thing that exists and specifically of each man. And so as we end this series of these four aspects of our resources, our heart, especially our talents, our treasure, our time, we cannot say mine. God owns everything. And to be able to to pour out those gifts, to know that we are just pleasing God by doing what he's called us to do. Again, not out of obligation, but out of a heart that loves him and wants to give him the honor and the glory. 
And we end it then with our gospel application, not just of today, but of all four of these aspects. Maybe. Are you okay in Jesus? That's what it all comes down to. All right, we, we did a series on this. We looked at, are you okay in Jesus? And the question is, the answer to that question is yes. I'm okay in Jesus. And so, man, I'm feeling guilty about how I spend my time. Maybe feeling selfish about this. I'm telling you, Jesus already died for that. Give it to him and be free. We're not going to be perfect on this. But Jesus is perfect and he died for us so that we can be free and we can give it back to him. I'm okay in Jesus. Well, I'm not, I don't know about how I do my finances. I'm not sure. I've been really selfish when it comes to that. I'd be ashamed if somebody looked at what I'm spending my money on. I don't have accountability. And even if I did, I think I still would have a problem with this. And I for sure don't give it to people who are in more need of me. You are okay in Jesus. I mean, my talents, man, I've got this gift. I can sing. I can play an instrument. I can, I can brew the best cup of coffee in the world. And I don't do it. I don't, I don't donate that time. I don't give to back to this. You are okay in Jesus. You're okay in Jesus when you put your faith in him and him alone. At this time, like we do every week, we're going to sing two hymns. And uh, we'd love for you to come forward and grab these elements, either the juice or the, not either the juice, but the juice and the bread, the bread that represents the body of Christ. It's been broken for us. He made us okay when his body was broken and then his blood, which represented, was represented by the juice, was shed for us that I cannot do anything to earn a better position in God. I can't give enough money to anybody or the church that God would say, oh, now I really love you. Can't do it. I'm okay in Jesus when he died for me, when I put my faith and I repented and I believed in him. Then I'm okay. So as we partake of these elements, let's remember that sacrifice that God did. Remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave with his own body and his own blood for our redemption to be okay. So I don't want you to live under law. I want you to live under grace that now we get to do these things. We get to be free because of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Let's pray. Uh, and if you partake these elements, all I would ask is that you would be a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you are a follower of Jesus, then I would love to partake of these elements with you as a family and as a body in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series. Uh, it's been incredibly convicting. Uh, for me, and I just pray that as your spirit, even now, moves in me, um, and anybody else who may feel the same way, uh, that your spirit would continue to convict, to work, uh, not just to think about it and say, yeah, that sounds good, I should probably do something about it, but that your spirit would continually convict until we actually do something, not out of obligation or out of duty, but out of love, as a reflection, as an outcome of the love that you have shown us. And so as we partake of these elements, that we would remember the sacrifice that you made, that your son made, that your spirit continually makes on our behalf as he intercedes before us, for us. And so I pray now that as you would just be honored and glorified as we lift up our voices and as we sing, as we reflect on the words and we think about it, what it is that Christ has done. It's in Christ's name that we do pray, amen.